Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, and welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Clarissa Giebel, and I'm delighted to be here today and host the show for the first time. Briefly introducing myself. I'm a research fellow at the University of Liverpool and the National Institute of Health Research, Applied Research Collaboration Northwest Coast, which is a mouthful. And my research is exploring how we can enable people living with dementia live well and independently in the community for longer. Recently, this has heavily involved the COVID-19 focus. In today's podcast, we will be discussing COVID-19 and care homes. Including, including national and international research and clinical work, as well as direct experiences of having a loved one with dementia living in a care home during this pandemic. Care homes have featured heavily in the news during the pandemic, with sadly many residents having passed away from the virus and care homes closing down to the outside world. So let's start with introducing our panel members for today's podcast. We are being joined today by both researchers and people with lived experiences of caring for someone with dementia. We have Professor Adam Gordon, Professor of the Care for Older People at the University of Nottingham joining us. Hi, Adam. Hello. We have Dr. Ramona Backhaus, Senior Researcher at Maastricht University in the Netherlands and fellow German. Welcome, Ramona. Hello. And last but not least, we have Paul Marlow joining us, who has been caring for his mother living with Alzheimer's disease dementia at home before she entered a care home during the pandemic last year, and who is a public advisor with us at the ARC Northwest Coast. Hi, Paul. Hello, Clarissa. So thank you all very much for joining us. A bit of an international and mixed podcast panel today. It's really great, I think, to have not only the research perspective on how the pandemic is affecting care homes, but also to hear from someone who is living through this experience. So to start us off, if we go around the virtual table and for everyone to briefly tell us about themselves and their work. Um, Adam, would you like to start? Yeah, hello. Um, so my name's uh, Adam Gordon, as I've already been introduced. Uh, and I'm a geriatrician by background. I've been a care home researcher working in and around care homes uh, for the best part of a decade. And my research interest in care homes has um, extended through the pandemic. Uh, I've been involved in a number of different things uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the first was helping some care home managers and uh, staff set up a peer support WhatsApp group uh, to help give them advice and support uh, as they navigated the early stages of the pandemic. And that went from strength to strength and not only helped a number of them find their way through, but also acted as a bit of a research resource for us as the pandemic went on and helped us work out what the big areas of uncertainty were and what it was that we had to be addressing. And so we've been involved in some very practical help to the care home sector through that, but also learning about where the big challenges lie through that piece of work with them. We've also been doing some interview studies with care home managers about how they've navigated the um, sometimes lack of available guidance uh, during the pandemic and sometimes plethora of overlapping and contradictory uh, guidance during the pandemic and the sort of skills and competencies and uh, support networks that they use to find their way through that. And then as the pandemic's gone on, I've been involved in uh, two quite um, large national pieces of research. Uh, the first is um, a um, 
COVID diagnostic evaluation platform. Uh, so that's called Condor. And Condor is designed to look at technological solutions to point of care testing for COVID in care homes. And I can tell you a bit more about that uh, later in the podcast if you want. And the second piece of work, uh, which is potentially even more exciting, is uh, the announcement of the first ever uh, national platform adaptive randomized controlled trial in a care home setting, uh, which is the PROTECT study. And that will be looking at treatments to try to prevent the spread of COVID either uh, as a form of primary prevention, so that's um, preventing care home residents from getting COVID in the first place, or secondary prevention, which is stopping spread of COVID uh, through a care home after there's been a case. Uh, so from a long period of time of working very hard to get the research community interested in funding research in, in care homes, there's been an explosion of care home research during the COVID um, pandemic. Um, and uh, it's been a real uh, privilege to be able to play a role in that. Okay, thank you so much. So certainly a lot going on. So it's great to have you on the show, Adam. Um, Ramona? Um, my name is Ramona Wackhaus, as Clarissa mentioned. Um, I'm working as a senior researcher at Maastricht University in the most southern part of the Netherlands. Um, I'm working for the Living Lab on Aging and Long-Term Care. This is a network or a collaboration center in which we participate as Maastricht University together with the University of Applied Sciences with two vocational training institutes for nurses and uh, with different long-term care providers um, doing research in elderly care. And um, normally, or before the pandemic, my research focus was on staffing issues. So I studied, for example, staffing levels in nursing homes. Uh, I had a look at competencies of staff, at staff roles. And um, during the first lockdown, we, um, and we were not allowed to conduct any research. So um, yeah, we had to deal with Corona also as researchers. And um, then I switched uh, to a study um, in which we had a look at, for example, the visiting ban in nursing homes um, and studying its consequences, um, which we will discuss later too. So uh, currently I'm uh, working a lot on um, the pandemic and its consequences for care homes. So what are the consequences for residents, relatives and staff members? Okay, great, thank you. So it'll be great to hear more about that in a bit. And Paul? Hi, um, I'm very happy to take part in this podcast. Um, my name is Paul Marlow. Um, I live in Liverpool. And until last July, I was a carer for my mum. Who is her name is Margaret and she is 87 and she's got Alzheimer's. Um, and I've been a, a carer for her and for my father. My, my father passed away four years ago. So principally I've been caring for my mum the last four years. Um, I, I used to be a teacher. Um, I now, well, when I was a carer, I was caring full time um, for my mum. And I feel like, you know, my, I felt it was. In, in my mum's best interest for her to, to stay at home. And she was very happy living at home. Um, and obviously I wanted to support her to do that. Um, but after the lockdown, the first lockdown, um, we sort of decided it might be the time that my mum should go into a home. Um, I've also been, I'm also a public advisor um, and I've been working with, um, giving us a carer's perspective on um, 
Clarissa's work at the moment on care homes. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying taking part in that. So thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. So as you can hear, we've got a broad range of expertise on this podcast to have a chat about uh, COVID and care homes and research today. Um, Adam, you've mentioned a lot of ongoing research that you're involved in. Do you want to expand on this a little bit? So you were talking a little bit about um, research into guidance, but also into testing. Yeah, so, so, so let me tell you about the um, testing research first off. Um, so the, the, the Condor study was a national platform funded in the UK by the National Institute of Health Research. And it was designed to evaluate point of care tests for COVID. So these are tests that happen close to where the um, person lives um, or is attending. So it could be, you know, in a clinical setting. So rather than sending specimens off to the laboratory and sometimes waiting hours if you're in a hospital or days if you're in the community, you get a result back in, in minutes. And there was a sense early in the pandemic that there were a number of manufacturers developing these technologies and we needed a really robust academic way of understanding how they worked. And at one uh, setting in which they potentially could make a difference was in the care home setting. And um, I was asked to, to lead on that piece of work. And what we did was we set about um, working with care homes to try to understand whether they could use these technologies. Now, some of these technologies are things that uh, on the face of it sound quite scary and quite technical and the sort of thing that you think that might not work well in a care home setting where some staff, uh, uh, well, most staff don't have degrees in laboratory science uh, and some staff are not even from a professional background like nursing or, or, or a healthcare background. Many are, are lay people that have picked up, uh, you know, uh, very good competencies, but um, competencies through uh, experience, experiential learning. And so the idea of these people suddenly doing polymerase chain reaction tests in this um, day room of the care home sounds potentially quite daunting. But anyway, we've set about doing this. We have now evaluated three technologies in the care home setting, two um, polymerase chain reaction machines, and one machine which is a form of automated antigen test. And the really exciting thing has been the way that the care home staff have taken to this, uh, the way that they have shown themselves to be quite adaptable, uh, and the way in which we found that um, these tests can actually be used in a relatively safe and error-free way in the care home setting. Um, so the tests vary in their turnaround times, but they'll give you a result in anything between 12 and 90 minutes. And that uh, sort of uh, rapid turnaround time can be transformational if you've got someone who's got COVID and you're trying to um, uh, get on top of an outbreak before it happens. So you can tell that they've got COVID and you can respond appropriately. The second way in which they can be useful is if you've got someone who hasn't got COVID, let's say a visitor, for example, who wants to enter the care home and you can give them that result there and then rather than waiting uh, for some uh, time to get a result back. Um, these tests that we've evaluated have now gone forward to the UK Department of Health and Social Care to decide if they want to fund them at a larger scale in care homes across the country. One of the big challenges is that the government in the UK have invested heavily in different forms of technology, much simpler tests called lateral flow tests. 
um, and those are now um, in place in most care homes across uh, the country. And so there's a real sort of sense of uncertainty about where these new technologies, um, very sensitive, very specific, but slightly more expensive than lateral flow tests and where they fit in to the grand scheme of things. And that's something that we're trying to work through with the government at the moment. But I think what we have learned from this is that care homes can do all sorts of clever things that we didn't think uh, they would be capable of doing in the past. Um, and there are whole new technologies that we now know can work in this setting that we um, haven't been able to explore in the past. And it opens up exciting opportunities, not just for how we manage COVID as time goes on and how we manage COVID outbreaks as time goes on, but how we might deploy these types of technologies for other things, for example, influenza outbreaks in the future, or even how we detect and manage the winter vomiting bug when that comes around. Um, so, you know, care homes never disappoint me. I'm all, they, they always uh, um, uh, uh, rise to the challenge and uh, are, are much more capable than most people would expect. And once again, they've shown us that they can um, participate in health and social care in a way that we perhaps hadn't envisaged uh, prior to the pandemic. So almost a bit of a positive perception there, Adam, from care homes about like your experiences about care home staff? Uh, well, I've been working with care home staff for uh, a decade, so I, I have largely a positive view of, of, of care home staff and the uh, dedication and skill that they bring to their day-to-day -day work. Um, and I think that one of the things that I have continually been um, um, impressed with over you know, my long period of time of working with staff in the sector is how they put resident care at the centre of um, their uh, sort of uh, ethos and so you know the big question when we first started looking at these new technologies was could they do something to transform and improve resident care during the pandemic and the answer is well yes they could first of all they could help to protect residents from covid and secondly they could help reopen uh, parts of the care home sector to things like visiting and the minute the care home staff held that uh, heard that uh, they were very uh, keen uh, to get involved and to you know try out these new uh, innovative uh, technologies. Um, so I think, yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the care home sector uh, and the staff that work in it. Okay, great. Thank you. Ramona, um, what about the experiences from the Netherlands? So I know you've recently published, well, you were one of the co-authors of a long-term care COVID report on safe visiting with international collaborators. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, let me start with the Dutch situation. Um, to give you just a short background, um, if we talk about nursing homes or care homes in the Netherlands, there are about 115,000 residents that are currently living there and about 270,000 staff members who are taking care of these residents. Um, and most of the residents suffer from dementia or other cognitive diseases and a smaller part suffers from somatic diseases. But um, yeah, only the most frail people enter a nursing home in, in the Netherlands. Um, and what we saw um, in February and March, the whole pandemic uh, started in the Netherlands. So um, I think in February, at the end of February, the first infections um, popped up. And what we saw in March, at the 20th of March, is that there was a whole uh, blank visitor ban. So people were not allowed to leave the nursing homes or uh, visitors were not allowed to enter. 
and uh, that then took for yeah two months um and in may the dutch ministry of health um wanted to start a pilot um, in which they wanted to experiment what would happen if you open or reopen the homes for visitors. And together with colleagues from the University of Nijmegen, it's another Dutch university, um, the ministry asked us to uh, monitor this whole process. So what we did is um, at the 11th of May, um, a selection of nursing homes, 26 homes, they are all spread across the Netherlands, were allowed to visit under, uh, through uh, open for visitors under very strict conditions. For example, um, they, uh, all the homes um, were not allowed to have any COVID infection uh, to participate in that um, pilot. The organization should have uh, protocols available that clearly regulate how a visit should look like. There was one person per resident who was allowed to enter the nursing home once a week. So the conditions were very strict. You could also think about different hygiene measures um, that were taken into consideration. And um, they asked us to monitor the soul reopening. And we, um, conducted interviews with um, yeah, mostly managers from these different nursing homes, the 26. And uh, in addition, we had five locations where we um, did a case study to also talk to relatives and to different staff members to talk about their experiences. And we had, for example, look at the compliance. So um, there are a lot of rules that um, have to be considered while a, um, a relative is visiting and um, what is the compliance on that. And we also had a look at what are the effects on residents, relatives and staff members. And um, this pilot was successful. So we uh, saw first that there were no new infections due to the visitors that were allowed to enter. Um, it could also be the case that it was in local areas where the infection rate was low back then, so that should be taken into account too. Um, and we also saw uh, positive consequences for residents, relatives and staff members. So we saw uh, changes in mood and um, behavior of residents, but also um, yeah, positive feelings, really emotions from family members and also staff members who said, yeah, it was a very hard period. And um, now we have to seek a balance between um, protecting our residents while at the same time, we want them to have contact with their family members. So um, yeah, the pilot was successful. And at the end of May, so uh, two weeks later, the government decided to allow visitors in all nursing homes um, when they did not have any COVID infections. So um, we could also um, yeah, spread our pilot then, and we included in a second measurement row um, 15 new nursing homes. So in June, we followed 76 nursing homes. And we did a third measurement wave in October. And now we are still monitoring these 76 homes to see what are the consequences. Um, and in October, we focused on uh, the second wave. So um, in summer, it was uh, yeah, a more easy period, I would say, because there were little infections. 
And in October, we saw that the second wave is uh, coming. And um, then we focused on, again, the well-being. And we still saw that um, residents benefited from the visitors. Uh, but we also saw that staff members found it difficult. They uh, had a very high work pressure. And um, they said that it also takes time to, for example, supervise these visitors. So you cannot say just enter the nursing home and uh, there is the door, but you really have to yeah, keep an eye on the whole visitors to see whether they um, yeah, comply to all the rules that they have to follow. Um, and we also saw that um, staff members got a bit tired of uh, discussing things with uh, visitors for example, about wearing a face mask and these kind of things. And um, yeah, we saw a more disbalance. Um, so when we opened, staff members were very happy. And uh, in October, there were mixed feelings. So they said, yeah, it was a very hard year. And um, it's just also extra work to supervise these visits. And um, we have to deal with uh, relatives who yeah, but that's really interesting, and especially because of the early imposed guidance, implemented guidance from the Dutch government, you were a, like care home staff was able to really follow them much better. But we'll get on to that in a bit. But also just because you were mentioning that increased burnout in, in care home staff that you noticed and. It's interesting, we noticed that in our Liverpool study as well, so that it was led at Liverpool, but we looked at it more nationally, that staff was just burned out, going to up to like 70 hours a week or something working and just having to cover people being off sick leave because of COVID or being afraid to come in because they might catch COVID, all these things. But also one thing that I want to pick up that you mentioned um, was this moral dilemma in terms of, care home staff, do we provide sufficient infection control and keep the residents safe? Yeah. But at the same time, they need that social contact with their loved ones. So that dilemma of balancing that care rightly, um, yeah. it's a really big thing. Yeah. yeah, at least what we saw is that they said in the third measurement round in October that they will do their best to keep the hours open. So at the beginning, we saw that, yeah, they weren't that well prepared. So um, maybe they prolonged the visiting bans or they reinstated it. And in October, they said, no, we really try our best. And we really have a look at individual residents, whether it's still possible for them to see their relatives. Um, and what you said about the burnout from staff, um, it's very difficult or hard to say what's the um, reason because you have these uh, visitors, but you also, oh, what we see saw at least is that um, they also struggled with um, people that are ill. So staff that is ill, maybe they are just coughing and they don't have COVID, but they have to sit at home until it's over, these kind of things. And in October, it really took a while to be tested. So um, they had to wait for a test and that um, yeah, prolonged also the whole time that they are they were not able to work. Yeah, okay. No, that's really interesting. And also hearing about how it's going on in a different country. 
Paul, I'm mindful this has been a bit of a research insight so far into what's been going on, both from Adam and Ramona. What about your own experiences? Um, how have you, what was your decision um, of your mother entering a care home during the pandemic? What kind of swung your decision and how has it been since? Yeah, well, the months before the lockdown or the pandemic really sort of hit in early last year, um, I did feel it was becoming kind of inevitable that my mum would probably have to go into a home at some point. Um, she's had the she's had Alzheimer's for some time, and I just felt it was it was becoming quite becoming increasingly more unmanageable at home as a carer. I mean, I was living at home myself with my mum, and what what I found particularly difficult um, prior to the lockdown was trying to knit all the different services together so she would have like a really good experience of living at home but also it meant that I would hopefully get some sort of respite from the home situation and I think not only was it like um, I think every carer would see this it's like a challenge to look after somebody with a condition like Alzheimer's but it's also I think a mate was a major um, undertaking for anybody to sort of like keep it all going, keep the whole sort of care package going, whether it's home care, day centres and so on. So when we got into lockdown, lockdown was difficult. Um, you know, as I think any carer would testify. Um, and I would definitely say she sort of, she definitely deteriorated in lockdown. Um, and that deterioration was de was definitely what led to her going into a, re into a, a care home in July. Um, she she did go in initially as respite, but we sort of decided as a family and like clinical staff and also social workers that this should be made permanent. Um, I think one thing I noticed in particular was the deterioration in her mobility from the beginning of the lockdown to July, um, and that was that was quite difficult because we always I'd always been very like active taking my mum out in the car. And when we got to June, July, and it started to ease a little bit and we could, we could leave the house, um, I couldn't actually get her into the car. She couldn't sort of understand how to get into the car. And that sort of, it just made me feel that it was going to be very difficult for her to, um, you know, for, for me to sort of manage that care for much longer, really. Um, I mean, one, one thing I would say about the lockdown is that, ironically, you know, she didn't really have any knowledge of the wider impact of COVID. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't have any knowledge of it at all and didn't really question why she wasn't leaving the house. So for a lot of the time, you know, she was very comfortable and very happy at home. Um, but obviously, you know, you know, her sort of, I think her dementia did advance. And I, I would say, you know, there's, a, there's a probably inevitability that someone's, you know, Alzheimer's is going to worsen over time. But I really felt it, it, it sort of um, it sort of speeded up really. And I do think losing that social interaction was a massive issue, really. Um, just like taking her to the supermarket and her like, you know, waving at little kids in prams and stuff like that, which used to that sort of interaction was lost in lockdown. And I think that sort of had a big impact upon upon her, I think. And how has it been since in terms of seeing your mother in the care home or staying in touch with her? 
Well, I mean, I do since July. I have I did visit her regularly. Um, they had window visits, but there was no physical contact. And then before Christmas, the care home did install a pod, so we were able to kind of go into the pod at Christmas. But then after Christmas, um, there was an outbreak of COVID outbreak at the home, and my mum my mum did test positive. Fortunately, you know she didn't have any symptoms, and she seems to be okay. Um, and I've actually been today for the first time for a month. Um, I mean, it was interesting what Ramona, you were saying about the about the care homes and how I suppose the kind of the kind of things they're having to do is not really what they were having to do before, having to manage families going in. And it's also I was also thinking like you know when I go into the pod, they've obviously got to make sure it's clean because they don't want the next people to be possibly contaminated, do they? So. They're given, an, you know, I think the, the whole idea of a pod is a fantastic idea, but it does bring a lot of responsibility, which maybe they never would have envisaged like a year ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. More cleaning duties and lots of more logistics that are involved, though, whereas usually you could just come and see your grandma or your mum in yeah. the care home, definitely. And they, they said to me, you know, before, before the pandemic, you know, there'd be a lot of, family members who would come into the home and family members who would from different family members who would like sort of um, become friendly with each other and it would create quite a family atmosphere um, so I think that's that's something which we've never experienced because obviously since July we've never I've never actually been in the home you know mm -hmm. I've been I've been to the pod but we've never actually been into my mum's room so you know it's kind of a, a very unusual situation really to be in as a, as a family yeah it's very different to suddenly lose that contact especially yeah. when you've cared for her before yeah, definitely uh, yeah so Adam what are with all your research going on what are your thoughts on generally the care home visiting and experiences through your research okay so uh, I, I think Paul's um, experience of his mum deteriorating through lockdown um, is indicative of what we're hearing from a lot of uh, families with relatives in care homes and indeed care home staff about their residents, which is that when people have to spend time in a situation where they have um, limited cognitive stimulation and limited opportunity for moving around, that they, that they do deteriorate. And there's no doubt that, you know, the, the sort of restrictions on care home visiting and on care home life more generally during the pandemic have been harmful um, to residents. I think there's also a sense of emerging harm to families. So, you know, some families depend upon contact with their mother, partner and a care home for emotional well-being. And so there's, there's definitely some uh, significant quality of life impact on people living on the outside, so to speak, um, as, as well. And I think there's also potentially been... Um, some quite significant damage done in terms of the relationship between care home staff and the families of residents. That, that relationship that sort of is situated around uh, the um, care home resident is really important to providing really good high quality care. And when that relationship breaks down, it makes it difficult to coordinate care plans to make sure that the care home residents are getting what they need. So, so the, the, the restrictions on visiting have been really harmful. I think 
Ramona's comments are really insightful. So when people say, why don't we just reopen UK care homes to visitors? They often cite the Netherlands as an example and say, well, look, they have a pilot, uh, a, a, you know, couple to research and and they've shown that it doesn't seem to be associated with much harm. But what you do have to listen to very carefully in the story that Ramona tells is the amount of staff resource uh, required um, uh, to support that. Uh, with every opportunity comes an opportunity cost. And so to devote staff to um, supervising visiting, they have to stop doing something else. Uh, staff have also had to deal with during the pandemic a rapid increase in uh, testing in the United Kingdom. So one of um, the implications of the lateral flow test, not the tests that we've been um, uh, evaluating, but the lateral flow tests that have been put in place in care homes is a rapid increase in staffing requirement to support those. Uh, one calculation I came up with said that uh, a 40-bedded care home might have to employ up to three extra staff, three extra full-time staff just to run their lateral flow tests, um, you know, before they do anything else. And then you add into that all the additional uh, uh, sort of staffing requirements around ensuring that you uh, have cohorted staffing for red and green areas within care homes. And really it's just a, a constant uh, you know, kind of moving feast of demands and um, draws on what's often a very thinly stretched staff already. Um, and, and there's a lot of kind of moving parts to try, try to um, uh, keep on top of. And so my sense is that some of the care homes that shut down did it ostensibly to protect their residents. And I think when we knew very little about the um, uh, infection, that was probably the right thing to do. I think many of them uh, kept care homes shut just because there were too many moving parts and they were just trying to um, you know, keep on top of the bits that they were being asked to do and mandated to do by government. Uh, now that they've got to grips with that, uh, particularly as the prevalence starts to go down, I think we do need to look at reopening care homes safely. An interesting part of this narrative in the UK has been um, the discrepancy between what the scientific committee have been, uh, scientific community have been saying about visiting and what the government have been saying about visiting and what the scientific community have been saying is that it probably is safe to reopen visiting. It probably is a relatively low impact activity from an epidemiological perspective. Uh, so long as you do the sorts of things that Ramona was describing, you use PPE, you maintain social distancing, you limit the number of people in the care home, you pay close attention to zoning. Um, of course, in a, at a political messaging level, that becomes the Prime Minister standing up and saying, well, now you can go into a care home and hug your granny. And, and his podcast, his uh, Twitter feed actually showed a picture of someone coming into a care home and hugging their granny. And so there is a, a slight mismatch between um, what the scientific committee um, are, uh, scientific community are suggesting is sensible, which is a kind of um, staged and careful reopening and visiting of the type of thing that Ramona describes has worked very successfully and safely in um, the Netherlands and the sort of thing that some of our politicians have been promising. And I think one of the real challenges as we do reopen visiting is going to be listening to the science and ensuring that we do, uh, quote unquote, uh, follow the science and that we don't uh, uh, sort of follow some of the more um, populist uh, tendencies uh, of uh, some of our public political figures. Yeah, very fair point. And I'll pick your brains, Ramona, just in a second as well. But just to pick up on something you said, Adam, that I think it's important to highlight that impact of the pandemic on every person's relationship. So both between staff and residents, between residents and family members and family members and staff. So one thing we noticed as well in our research, for example, care home staff having to be fully 
PPE kitted out, wearing that face mask. Well, that means that the residents can't see whether they're smiling, for example. Sometimes they can't hear them very well because elderly residents might have hearing problems as well. And these little things cause these deteriorations in the relationships as well, um, just to kind of bring them out. Okay, um, Ramona, so as Adam was just mentioning, the Netherlands almost is like a shining beacon in terms of care and internationally and kind of brings out these clear guidance in May last year, which for us in the UK was like, wow, that's great. That's really early. Um, so we kind of noticed in the UK, obviously there is a lack of guy has been a lack of guidance and consistent guidance throughout the pandemic, really from the government towards care homes and visiting, etc. Um, so do you just want to explain a little how do you think the guidance has helped in the Netherlands um, and should they be implemented in other countries also? I think in the very first beginning the guidance clearly helped because nursing homes um, could refer to that guidance right and you could also communicate that guidance to your visitors and you could say okay it's written down here and we have to do it like that. Um, but I think the guidance, because the measures were really strict, so you had also to keep one and a half meter distance. And when we um, monitored these five nursing homes in detail, we also saw that it is not always possible to have such a distance. Uh, you talked uh, about people with dementia, for example, people that do not hear very well and um, Normally, they uh, like to touch their relatives and uh, to give a kiss or something like that. And that is what we also saw. So it was not uh, always feasible to uh, deal with these strict measures. And that is what we also gave back. Um, what we are wondering or thinking about now is um, what about the long-term consequences of the whole pandemic? Because... Um, I think when we have a look at the media, uh, we hear a lot about vaccinations and the strategies and care homes are vaccinated first and these kind of things. But um, I think we sh really should keep in mind that there will be residents who cannot get a vaccination, maybe also due to health circumstances. Um, there might be staff members who didn't have vaccinations because they didn't want to or they can't. Um, and we are just wondering about the long-term consequences for the daily life in nursing homes. So um, when will the old normal life come back? Will it come back? Um, because what we also see is that, um, yeah, before the pandemic um, in Dutch nursing homes, a lot of volunteers were present who took over activities, for example, and they were also banned. So they didn't enter the home. And also when we had this measurement round in October, we saw that they are still not there because a lot of volunteers are people that are a bit older in their 60s, for example. And um, yeah, we don't, do not see them in nursing homes right now. So um, I think um, that it will have a, yeah, a big change. It will lead to a big change in the normal life in nursing homes. Um, and I'm not sure what the consequences of the vaccinations will be. And um, I think we have to um, think about all these measures that we are applying right now and how to, yeah, give them up bit per bit. 
No, definitely. Um, I think, yeah. Um, I might just give a question here. Are you bringing us on to the vaccination situation? Because that's, I think, at the moment, is just so pertinent. Um, can you um, explain to us what the, uh, first of all, what, what the vaccination situation is like in the Netherlands more broadly and specifically in care homes? Um, so in the Netherlands, uh, I think you may have heard about it. They started a bit later. So most European countries started in December. Um, the Netherlands started in January. And um, high priority was given to nursing home residents, but then there was a discussion about the um, different vaccinations. So the uh, Pfizer one worked for elderly people, but the other one not. So uh, they had to rearrange a bit. And now it looks like that um, staff in hospitals, for example, who really works in close contact with uh, COVID patients, that they are, they are vaccinated firstly. After that, people working in nursing homes or care homes follow, and then the population in nursing homes follow. So they are given, both residents and staff members are given high priority. And um, they started at the beginning of January. And um, I don't have exact numbers of how much uh, staff is vaccinated right now or these kind of things. No. Just to kind of put it into context, that's great. Um, so, Paul, you, um, what about your mother? Has she received a vaccine yet? Well, because she had a positive uh, COVID test a few weeks ago, um, when they didn't vaccinate um, those people in the care homes who had positive tests, she's due to have their tests this week, this Friday, I think it's meant to be. Um, so that's when she's, that's, there's been a delay, obviously. Um, so, you know, I hope eventually that in the, the vaccinations will mean that we will be able to have some actual visits in the future. But I mean, as, but as you know, as, as, with, as, as like Ramona has said, it's, I suppose we have to be kind of realistic about how this is gonna have an actual impact in the future because, you know, it's kind of an ongoing situation and and it probably does need to be very, I think for it for to work in terms of visiting, I, I would have thought that have to be pretty clear, strict, consistent guidance really, um, because, you know, otherwise it, you might end up with um, some care homes deciding that, you know, they're not going to chance it, you know, they're not going to put people at risk. But, you know, it would be nice to think that we will, we will be able to have some sort of actual visit in the near future. Definitely. Um, Adam, how do you think vaccines are likely to affect care home visiting? Um, so we, we don't know yet, is the answer. <laughs> I know. <that. laughs> in the UK, the, the, um, all care home residents have now been offered um, the first vaccination um, and um, the uptake is somewhere in the region of 90% in most parts of the UK. So the uptake amongst uh, residents has been uh, pretty good and the uptake amongst staff from a pretty poor start is catching up quite quickly as well. So I think we're looking at around about 60% immunisation rate in staff at the moment and, and rising. Um, so, so the immunisation programme is going well. Uh, that's the first um, dose. They won't get their second dose for 12 weeks. Uh, so we're looking at three months from now until we have anything approaching immunity. And even then, uh, we don't know uh, the extent to which vaccines will work in older people with frailty living in care homes because of 
immunosenescence, which is a grand term that largely refer, refers to uh, a sort of deterioration in the immune system as people age, and we don't know the extent to which the vaccines will generate um, uh, immunity. We hope they will, and if they do, uh, then uh, it should be possible for visiting to open, I think, in a sort of staged and, and controlled way. I mean, this is one of the things that sort of got us thinking about the the, the uh, need to have preventative treatments in care homes, because if we don't get the level of immunity that we'd hope for from vaccination, then we need to have alternative therapies that either prevent uh, outbreaks or reduce the severity of outbreaks. And uh, the National Institute of Health Research have funded us to run something called the PROTECT study. And the PROTECT study will be a, la a large in fact, the largest ever uh, care home study, a randomised controlled trial, uh, which is an adaptive platform trial, uh, which so will be given agents by the National Institute of Health Research to test in the hope that they can prevent either care home, either COVID outbreaks in care homes or prevent them from uh, becoming uh, severe. Um, and uh, we're now in the process of recruiting care homes for that. We'll need between 400 and 800 care homes in the study. And um, we may need up to 7,000 care home residents. It's going to be a very significant undertaking. We're going to be doing that work over the coming weeks and months. And if anybody listening to this wants to learn a bit more about that, they can go and look at www.protect-trial.net, uh, which is where everything uh, is there on the internet. So I think that, you know, like everyone else, I really hope that vaccination just works. And I would be, strangely, the happiest man alive if the protected trial turned out not to be needed. Um, you know, so I'm, it's almost like I'm willing a trial that I'm leading uh, to fail. Um, but in reality, the, the best thing for everyone would be just if vaccination worked and we could reopen quickly. But we, we don't yet know that it's going to work as well as we hope. And so we probably need some plan Bs and some additional arrows in our quiver in case it doesn't hope. It doesn't work uh, quite as well as we'd hoped. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I'm mindful of time and us kind of losing track of time because it's such an interesting topic, I think. So I think this is all we have time for today. But to just wrap up, to summarise, um, first of all, thank you to all of you for joining us. It's great to have had that national, international insight, but also not just research, but really hearing from someone who is going through this at the moment. So thank you so much. And I think possibly some of the main takeaway messages are, I suppose that, first of all, care home staff has been affected to a great deal by burnout, by stress, and they really have to take on these additional tasks. So we should kind of uh, highlight that and the um, great job that care home staff is doing. Also, there seem to be a lot of impacts on relationships between everyone, staff, family members, residents, and we shouldn't neglect the impact that the pandemic has on that. Um, also, it seems we're all in agreement, safe visiting should be encouraged where possible because as we've noticed, both by people living with dementia in the community, but also in care homes, if people don't have that um, cognitive stimulation, the physical stimulation of walking around, doing things, and that social engagement that can lead to possibly faster deteriorations as well. So safe visiting would be helpful. And also hopefully vaccination will have a positive impact on visiting, but as Adam was just saying as well, we just have to wait and see how things develop. So again, thank you so much to all of our panelists. Um, Professor Adam Gordon, thank you so much.
Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Ramona Backhouse, thank you. Thank you. And Paul Marlow, thank you as well. Thank you very much. So for everyone listening, take a look at our website, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk, where you'll find more about many different topics on dementia. And we have profiles on all of today's panelists on the website, including details of their Twitter accounts, if they are on Twitter. And if you have anything to add on this topic, please just drop us a tweet or add a comment to this post. Thanks for listening. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.